I'm Andrew Smith, the CEO of the Association of Dental Support Organizations, and this is Thank You for Flossing. If you're looking for bites of wisdom on the future of the dental industry, you're in the right place. Stick around. Welcome, everybody. Uh, It's a big day here at uh, ADSO. This is our first uh, recording of ADSO's new podcast, Thank You for Flossing. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. Our our goal here is to bring uh, leaders and stakeholders within the dental industry together to talk about the future of oral health care, uh, providing greater access to care, and all things uh, dentistry. Uh, it's pretty exciting, and I thought the best way to kick things off uh, was to have our new ADSO president, uh, Dr. Sulman Ahmed, who is the founder and chief executive officer of DECA Dental to join us. And I know he's going to share uh, with with us uh, his vision and future for ADSO, as well as a little about himself and, and what he's building at, at DECA. So I'm pleased to introduce my, uh, my friend and, and colleague, uh, Dr. Ahmed. Welcome. Thank you, Andrew. Great being on. I, I appreciate it uh, very, very much. So I think for uh, our our listeners, um, we're going to break our conversation in, into two parts. First, we'll have Dr. Ahmed talk about the priorities that you have for ADSO and the organization, as well as what you're working on. Uh, and then we're going to be talking with our vice president, uh, Dustin Netrell. Uh, so and kind of what the environment is that he's seeing in kind of workforce development. So we'll go ahead and begin. We've got a couple questions. Obviously, uh, feel free to answer anything you want or, or, or pose anything uh, differently. So uh, first first question that we have for today is kind of ADSO vision and priorities. So Dr. Ahmed, when you joined ADSO leadership team earlier this year, why were you interested in taking this role? Uh, because it's, I know it's not because you had a lot of extra time on your hands. So tell me a little about why you wanted to kind of join uh, join this and, and, and put some time into it. No, thanks, Andrew. I think it's an incredibly exciting time, you know, in the DSO space as we see more and more uh, groups come together to enjoy the benefits of um, having the ability to uh, have more synergies and and have more power as I go out into the workplace. So one of the big reasons for me was just unifying the profession, you know, bringing everything together, also getting a set of eyes on things that actually matter to some of the smaller groups. I think we've seen DSOs go from the very, very big groups to now, you know, the midsize and the smaller size. So to find a way to unify the, you know, the profession, bring all dentists together, working closely, um, you know, with them uh, to further enhance our mission was was critical. And I think it was that all put together was an exciting time to to lead this organization. The other thing is, I think some of the challenges being presented to all dentists uh are, are somewhat unique, you know, in this inflationary environment and also in the post-COVID environment. Um, so as we think about workforce issues, as we think about, um, you know, the insurance um, side of things and, and, you know, how do we how do we as a group come together and help solve some of these problems for the profession? Uh, were some a couple of the key things that, you know, I'd like to see us achieve or make some, you know, significant progress on under under my leadership. No, that's that's fantastic, and obviously you've hit the ground running with a whole host of initiatives we're we're launching, and you know we're obviously going into another strategic planning session next year, which you know you and and the leadership team will will be leading. And I think you hit a really interesting point about why you wanted to be ADSO president. You know, you're obviously a leader of the 
next generation of DSOs and have built a phenomenal business and are, are continuing to, to grow it, I think what would be helpful for our listeners to, to hear is, you know, what, what do you think is the, you know, you touched a little on it, but what do you see as the number one or number two important issue to DSOs of your size of where you've been now, where you are and where you're going? You know, what are some of those issues you mentioned a little, but I'd love you to expand on that. Yeah, happy to do so. You know, I'm, I'm a dentist, graduated 18 years ago, started this company 15 years ago. The mindset at that time was very different for a dentist coming out. It's not that student loan debt wasn't high. It's obviously higher now. But the mindset was still to come out, you know, move to city um, and, and start your own practice or acquire a practice. Today's dentists think a little bit differently. I think we, you know, we know that you know, 55 plus percent of dental students graduating are female today. Um, and it's a, it's a completely different generation. So I think for dental leaders like myself, it's and, and not just at DECA, even within the ADA. So it's really important to understand what tomorrow's dentist is, is looking for, because it may not be the same things I was looking for and the dentists before me were looking for. And so, you know, work-life balance, opportunities to grow, uh, mentorship, all of those things are are very, very important, not just within DECA. And when we try to build that environment and then to a growth path forward too. Um, you know, we we think of Dennis joining us, um, you know, what can we do, you know, to further kind of help them lead to their aspirations of being a practice owner. And so we're launching our own, you know, joint venture program where Dennis joining our company can can own an ideal dental in a market, you know, that that maybe is home to them. So those are things that weren't the original intent when I started the company, but as we continue to evolve, because what we're seeing is dentists are coming out, they do still want that autonomy and they still want to own something, uh, but they also have a, a lot of debt, student loan debt. It's expensive to open a practice. It's extremely competitive. And then you compound all of that with all the workforce challenges on, on what it costs today, um, ability to, uh, you know, work with payers uh, in terms of reimbursement. And then the technology piece, you know, that's that's not cheap either. So if you can bring all that together and provide environment, um, I think it becomes very attractive for the next generation of dentists. No, thank you. And I, you've touched on the workforce development issues, the payer issues. You know, from from your point of view, when I talk to students and, you know, with within what you're building at, at DECA, you know, how... How do you see things like licensure portability and changes to how doctors are reimbursed affecting the industry and why it's so important that the industry is unified around around these issues? What do you think is the biggest value add that will come from portability uh, legislation as well as payer reform? Yeah, I think so. On the first part on the licensure portability, I think it's huge the work that the ADSO is doing there. One of the big pain points is, you know, someone graduates in Texas, but wants to move to Florida, and they have to go through that whole process. Um, even to the extent where someone could have practiced for a very long time, and you still have to go to pretty long process. But we really do feel for the new dentists who are coming out of school, they're trying to get credentialed, um, they've got student loans kicking in, and they're stuck in this waiting pattern for three or four months, where they're just trying to figure out how to get their license, or if they're moving states, how to get licensed in that state. So I think the work the ADSO and, and you yourself are leading to uh, is just going to be phenomenal if we can kind of see it through. Um, and 
not just from the dentist side of you, just just access to care, right? There's a lot of people that we know that that need dental work. And so to not be a bottleneck and to to kind of help people that need treatment and dentists who want to provide treatment and have you know external pressures around student loans, also pushing on them to make that easier is is something that probably should have been done a while ago. Um, and I'm really proud that this organization is is pushing through on that. Um, on the second part, on the peer reform, you know, I think that's where, you know, the power of numbers and 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 just a voice that's that's going to be heard. But, you know, if if a provider in this environment where everything's up six to ten percent on cost, if a provider does not have the ability to get compensated more for a procedure, then it's it's on organizations like us to kind of help see that through. Um, so if they're doing the same procedure and getting reimbursed more, that's that's a win-win, um, you know, for them. So I think that again has been something I hear, you know, so many times over the last 18 years from individual dentists where they feel like their work is not being valued or they're doing all this work um, and maybe not being reimbursed uh, according to what they think. So I think it's high time that both of these initiatives uh, kind of become uh, at the front of everything we're pushing for. Well, that's, I appreciate that. And thank you for your leadership on this. Uh, you know, I told Dr. Ahmed we're going to get him on the road to go meet with a bunch of elected officials. So, uh, you know, just prepare yourself for the roadshow. It'll be it'll be fun to get these uh, these issues uh, accomplished. You know, you touched a little about DECA's business model and why you all are unique and what what you're building. And as this second generation leader and now a, a significant leader in the industry, I always find it very fascinating to hear from our member CEOs about what they're looking to build within their organization. And, you know, I think well, I'd love to have you talk a little more about what you're building at DECA. And also I would love to hear too, how you see what you're building at DECA as how we can apply that to kind of the future vision and leadership at ADS over the next several several years. Because I think you've got a very unique story and a very unique model. So I would love you to share that and how you see it tying into ADS. Yeah. yeah, thank you for that. I mean, you know, starting out the company, the vision was really to provide all dental services under one roof six days a week. And it was really a, a guest-centric, you know, we call our patients guests here, uh, a guest-centric model that put them at the forefront. So we kind of took a step back and said, all right, we know what every dentist wants to do. That's great. But what do patients really need? The fact is they do have toothaches on Fridays and Saturdays. The fact is they do build trust with the general dentist. And so naturally ask for, hey, my daughter now needs braces. Can you refer me somewhere? And it's, it's not convenient for them to travel. So bringing all that in-house in a retail kind of setting, you know, we we looked at, um, you know, I, I was very impressed by the, the pharmacy models. Um, and then you look outside of dentistry and you look at the Starbucks model and, and what you find is great real estate where people drive by. It's convenient. It's affordable. Um, and, and people don't really question the quality of dentistry. So we took it upon ourselves to build a pretty robust clinical program, which, you know, being a clinician, that's like a non-negotiable. So if you can define that the, the clinical excellence is going to be performed, you know, at a high level, then you can start addressing other variables that make patients' lives easier. And for some, you know, we, we really think ourselves as a retail healthcare business. Um, we are branded. Our brand is Ideal Dental um, and we're a de novo brand. So 80% of our locations we build intentionally. We decide where we want to build, uh, you know, to the exact intersection that we want to be on. Um, and then we decide who we want to bring on because we think, you know, patients and guests deserve 
a great dental experience. It's not probably the favorite place, but if they are coming in, how do we make that easier? And so we are very intentional about the staff we hire. Many of the people we hire have no experience in within dentistry. And so we we built a really robust training program to achieve the overall vision. And I think now we have, you know, so many of us that are saying, well, I want to be part of ideal dental. I want to own an ideal dental in St. Louis. And that may be a market where we're, we don't currently sit today. But if we've got a partner dentist as an extension of us, then we're looking to explore those JV partnerships. So that's one way we've kind of innovated the model, you know, 15 years in based on the demand on, on opening that up to, to every dentist across the country, provided that they, you know, they have high integrity and then they're good clinicians and they believe that, you know, this is, this is kind of the path forward. That is a little bit different because you're not going and buying an existing practice. So the amount of debt and the partnership uh, works out in a way that's very cost efficient. And then we've also got, you know, 15 year track record of performance so we can pretty much normalize and create a prototype of exactly we can predict what our performance is going to be like so those those few things make us unique in in the market and, and we've had a lot of interest from from dennis wanting to be a part of it no that's that's phenomenal and like i said it's you know each each of our members has a unique story and a unique place and um, you know thank you for all you're you're doing there as you look forward the next five years and especially with your role here at adso where do you see the DSO industry going and what role would you like ADSO to be playing in that? Look, I think the facts are by whatever numbers you want to take. You know, when I uh, joined the ADSO, you know, maybe the consolidation was at 15%, you know, where 85% of the dentists up in the U.S. were individual dentists, 15% were groups. You know, today, I think that number ranges from maybe 25 to 30% are 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 part of a DSO and, you know, the remaining are individual dentists. I think in the next few years under my leadership and your partnership, um, I think that number is going to drastically increase. And I, and I think, you know, I go back to some of the reasons I cited, not every dentist coming out today wants to necessarily go and, and take on more debt to try to figure it out themselves. I mean, the dentist coming out is extremely smart and they, they don't want to reinvent the wheel. So if they find a model that appeals to them and works for them, they are going to want to be part of that group. So, you know, as long as we can give them that clinical autonomy and the business support to let them be the best dentist, I think that's going to be a win. So, you know, one of the big initiatives for us is, you know, can we be that voice for dental group practices? You know, can we take the people who've done it before me and then now me and the next generation and can we inspire them to you know, kind of do it even better than us because the trend is, you know, whether it's going to be the next five years or 10 years, I would say, you know, 60 to 50 percent of the dentists here are going to be in some way affiliated with the DSO. And I don't think there's a lot of arguing, you know, with that. That's what the trends kind of show. Um, and so, you know, that that would be a big initiative is to is to bring bring really bring the profession together. I think I said at the start, but um, yeah, I kind of keep hitting on that. And I think we're well on our way. No, well, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I, I definitely, as we look at the marketplace being about 30% and just how drastically and rapidly that's grown. And, you know, when, as we, we both know, when you talk to dental students today and they learn about all the aspects of, oh, I can own my own practice and I can have a partner on the business side. And especially with the way that they want to be practicing, you know, it, it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, so 
Uh, I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to come on. It's been a pleasure to, to work with you over these last few months and excited about what we as an organization uh, can do together. So um, thank you very much. Any other final thoughts, comments for our, our listeners before we... Uh, no, likewise, it's been a great partnership. You know, I would encourage all listeners to, you know, look into uh, what these other opportunities are. You know, one, look into the ADSL because it's not just for big group practices. It's It has all kinds of levels. I think we've got small groups, big groups. We're doing some great uh, meetings. We're doing one in the winter for, for some of the mid-market, mid-sized groups, which there's a lot of information we we kind of pass on that we've learned. And you know, I think everyone, every CEO, founder, all the people in ADOS are very open because we all realize our models are somewhat unique. So there's really no secret sauce. Um, and so the transparency you'll find amongst the leaders, uh, if you're needing help, if you're not sure, you know, is is definitely there. It's it's for you to kind of take the next step and and reach out and then look within you know the DSOs for the different kind of models. You know, we we with our ideal dental partners, you know, that's one model. But every DSO has some kind of a model um, where you can kind of get some of the benefits while still enjoying your autonomy. So just I would just encourage everybody to just explore a little bit more um, and try to learn more about the different things going on because dentistry is changing really fast. Fantastic. Couldn't have said it better myself. So with that, uh, thank you, Dr. Ahmed. Thank you, Andrew. Of course. And we're now going to talk to our VP, Dustin Netrell. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, I'm very excited to welcome our guest uh, up next, uh, Dustin Netrell. Dustin has become a friend and colleague and is the CEO of uh, Vista Verde Dental Partners uh, to the podcast. Vista Verde is another player in the DSO space and really excited to bring him on uh, today. So Dustin, welcome to our inaugural uh, podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. So uh, Dustin, a, a couple you know topics I want to discuss with you about the challenges and workforce we're facing into 23, moving into 2024. You know, as you know, 2023 has been a year marked by a lot of economic headwinds, whether interest rates are going up, costs of Capital are obviously more expensive. Labor costs are are increasing. What impact is this changing economic climate having specifically on the DSO industry? Yeah, I think it's I think it's challenging from a, a handful of viewpoints. You know, one, you know, a lot of DSOs, particularly those relying on uh, third party payer networks uh, such as PPOs, the rates are somewhat fixed, and so you know there are many groups out there that haven't been able to get an increase for five, six, seven years. And so, you know, they're set to charge the same rate, although their internal costs are going up. You know, during COVID, it was PPE was off the charts, but it's never gotten back to where it was prior to COVID. Uh, Then you think about labor and you're competing against uh, Walmart, Target, Amazon at a higher starting wage. And when you go and you consider the fact that you've got dental assistants and uh, front desk personnel now that are making anywhere from you know, 10 to 30% more than they did pre-COVID. It's it's really been a challenge. But then to couple that with the fact that there are fewer people out there and we're competing against one another for talent. And so it becomes this, this kind of war game on who can pay the most to get the best talent. So that's certainly been challenging. But then also the consumer too has been a little stretch. You know, less than half of people out there have dental insurance, which lines up with about half of people in the United States uh, actually see their dentists on a regular basis. 
but that consumer is also faced with, you know, a lot more expensive cost of living. And so they are prioritizing, you know, do I get that root canal or do I just kind of tough it out for a little longer? Do I go into Invisalign or do I, you know, get that repair needed uh, on my house? And so the consumer is being squeezed. So there's less discretionary funds. And as we all know, the number one barrier to uh, someone getting dental care is the cost of that care. And so it's been a really challenging environment uh, thus far. And, and there are more things around, you know, the cost of capital, not only for the consumer, interest rates are up for the consumer, but they're also up for uh, DSOs that rely on that as a part of their cap structure to be able to bring in debt to fund acquisitions and growth. So certainly been a challenging environment from an economic perspective. No, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, obviously you and I as, you know, you as the vice president of the association, you and I have talked, you know, quite a bit about this and, you know, what ADSO is going to be doing for its members, particularly around workforce development and, you know, on the payer side of, of issues. As you've kind of outlined the challenges and, you know, knowing what's out there, you know, what are some of the things that you and Vista Verde have done to kind of take some steps to mitigate those uh, risks and, and pain points? Yeah, for us, we're we're uniquely positioned because we're a fee for service practice, and so, you know, we we uh, our practices traditionally focus on denture and implant related work, and so our average transaction is much higher than your your typical DSO, and so it is heavily reliant on financing, and so people, you know, traditionally would refi their house or get a HELOC, or they might would uh, do a four hundred one k loan or a, a hardship withdrawal. All of those products have become more expensive, as well as the actual ability to finance them through a third-party lender. And what we found is those third-party lenders, they're strained for capital as well, because many of them go through and they borrow money only to lend the money. And so those third-party lenders are becoming more, um, a little more picky on who they're going to extend credit to. So like in our own environment, our approval rates were north of 60%. In July of last year, and this year they were at 43. And the reality is, the average FICO in the door of the person applying for credit was virtually the same. And so uh, the lenders are definitely clamping down on it. So what we've done in order to address that is, is we've brought in more lenders. You know, we've gotten creative with some of the financial products uh, that we're offering our patients, but also gotten a little creative around how we will actually. Um, um, apply those through a waterfall mechanism to make sure like, hey, we're, we're optimizing our margin, but we're also, you know, making sure that we can meet every sale possible because the margin on uh, a, a case that we don't close is zero, you know, so we want to make sure we get it um, and spend the least amount of money possible. And so sometimes that includes buying down rates, uh, ex uh, digging deeper into credit pools, uh, sharing in some of the risk with uh, the lender. Uh, so we've we've been really working uh, hard on that. On the workforce side, I'd say, you know, it's it's challenging because sometimes you're not competing against um, someone deciding to go from one practice to another or one DSO to another, but maybe you're competing against them leaving the field of dentistry, which has me really concerned, particularly around dental assistants, hygienists, and front desk personnel. And so what we've done in, in response to that, whenever money becomes an issue is we traditionally, rather than just saying, hey, we're going to um, 
give you the extra dollar an hour that someone else is willing to give you, we couple that with a retention bonus. So it's like, hey, not only are we going to match that, but we're going to put a little extra spending cash in your pocket in order to, in exchange for a one-year commitment um, to stay with us. And so just to give ourselves a little more breathing room. And what we have found interesting with that, that strategy is, is that we've been able to get people kind of through that temporary hurdle or hump. And they're really uh, thankful for the fact that we recognize that maybe in their mind, they were not making as much money as they could. So the way we position it uh, is critical there. The other piece we're doing is, is we are doing um, market research every quarter on compensation. So we don't wait just annually to go and say, hey, you know, it's review time here, wages and increases. But we've actually uh, gone through quarterly and looked at anyone that's below the midpoint and evaluated whether we should go ahead and do an off cycle uh, merit increase. So we try and stay ahead of that. Then from a benefits perspective, you know, we've been looking at um, enhancing our benefit offering. The challenge you, you largely find is the population of folks that um, you're at risk of turning over or losing. Generally, healthcare is not really top of mind for them, the cost of healthcare, because they're they're younger, they're generally healthier, and so on. And so we look for alternative benefits and things that we can do, such as 401k matching uh, and um, also things around PTO and PTA and, and giving floating holidays, stuff like that. Uh, and then we try and implement a little bit of fun in the practice too, because it's really hard you know, for someone to stick around if they feel like they can make more money elsewhere, but it's even harder for someone to stick around somewhere that they don't enjoy and they don't like the other people. So we're also very focused on not only having them build a relationship with the organization, but more importantly, with their individual team. So we invest a lot into team building and just making sure that, you know, once a month they're going out uh, to happy hour, once a quarter they're doing a team uh, event or offside going hiking or go-karting or whatever it is, because we want them to become friends. And then it's really hard for friends to quit friends uh, in that scenario. So a lot of strategies that, that we've got out there uh, and, and our turnover has been pretty good. You know, we're very proud of, um, you know, our ability to retain and uh, our people and to attract top talent. No, I think you listen, I mean, you've hit on so many points that I continually hear throughout, you know, the industry. And I think, you know, one thing that I found really interesting is what you said earlier about when patients are coming in, looking at, you know, financing a necessary procedure, whether it be from a root canal or, you know, implants, things that they do need long term. A year ago, the FICO score that was approved by the lenders, you know, was X and now they've lowered, you know, they basically aren't giving patients with that same FICO score now the, the financing. I think you also mentioned how there's obviously a shortage of professionals, particularly the dental assistants and hygienists on this. And then I think you adeptly spoke about how you're looking at benefits, how you're looking at pay, how you're looking at building a team culture. And I, I mentioned that because from a holistic approach of both the the, the patient getting the care that they need to the office, making sure that workforce is employed and engaging plus the culture. I don't see how other organizations outside of kind of a, a DSO could be able to, to do all of that. Um, do you want to speak a little about that and kind of the, the advantages of kind of the dental support organization and in, in being able to 
achieve those aspects, patient, employees, and just building a culture? Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting if you compare a DSO to a solo practitioner. A solo practitioner has a lot on their plate. And I even see it, you know, with our individual practices and with our doctors, that they don't always necessarily prioritize um, the environment for the team members uh, and what their pay is and whatnot, because they themselves have a hard time putting themselves into their shoes. And so they go and they look at it and say, well, I went and, and I spent hundreds of thousand dollars on my education. I've spent money getting a practice open. I've been doing this for years. I am pot committed to this. And it's almost as though their expectation is everyone else should be too. But the uniqueness of a DSO is you have people that this is their their job. You know, their job is to be thinking about, you know, quote unquote, the little guy in the organization and figure out, okay, how do we make their life better? How do we keep them to be sticky to the organization, sticky to the team and sticky to the patient? And so um, having someone really focused on it means that it's a priority for someone. And it's not always a priority for the doctor in the office because, you know, most um, dentists in the office are wearing roller skates and going from patient to patient to patient. And at the end of the day, mentally, um, they have gone 10 rounds with Muhammad Ali. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a very uh, physically and mentally demanding role of a doctor. And so being able to offload that to somebody that has the education, resources, and time to focus on those people, it's really important. When you think about the financing component, you know, um, sometimes uh, like a solo practitioner may get in may get in their own way because they look at it and say, well, it's not fair to give 6% of what I earned to somebody else just for the purpose of financing it. And the reality is, is you've got to look at, okay, well, what, what are our fee schedules look like? What's our pricing look like? And what can our margin um, withstand as far as financing fees or merchant fees? And so having somebody that can go through, do the math and say, all right, based on historical data, if we applied this type of waterfall or this type of financing structure, how how might that perform? And is that going to increase revenue, which should overall increase gross margin dollars? Or is it something where, hey, we're, we're just looking to try and margin out on the existing patients we have in? And so really doing that math and figuring that out, it's it's pretty complicated. And you know, I I will never be able to place a dental implant, but I also, I don't think that you know, our doctors are going to be able to go through and and determine like what a lending waterfall will be or what's a retention strategy for dental assistants because it's all about time, focus, and experience. Um, and that that's the beauty of a dental support organization. And, you know, the reality is any doctor, once they bring in an associate, they've signed up to be a support function for that doctor. And some of them are better at it than others, but they still struggle with where are the tools, the resources, where do people talk about marketing or finance or whatever it may be? And so it can be really, really tough, whether they're a group of practices uh, or just an individual practice. And so DSOs add a tremendous amount of value and kind of cut through the costly uh, mistakes that can happen around, you know, team uh, uh, dynamics or workforce development or financial products or service offerings, whatever it may be. Um, you know, sometimes that can be be really challenging for them to commit the time to to be thoughtful and do it in a right way to, in which, you know, you don't blow a toe off in the process. 
Yeah, I know. I mean, I I, <clears throat> I love the commentary, um, and I do tell people this all the time. You know, if you're an owner doctor, and you bring in an associate, a dental assistant, a hygienist, and a front office uh, individual, and you have one office, you are a dental support organization. And and I think that's important to note the similarities over to a, a DSO, clinician still owns the practice. And again, it's letting them focus on what they do best for these exact reasons to not only deliver great patient care, but also to make sure that the total supply chain is is working efficiently for, for everyone, which is great. Um, <clears throat> you know, one, one thing I wanted to get your perspective on, I mean, as you know, ADSO has been working very closely with ADA, ADHA, you know, the American Association on Dental Assistance on you know, quite a few workforce aspects. You know, one is the license reportability that would give hygienists and dentists the more ability to move between state lines to practice because there's obviously demand in certain parts of the country that's being undermet. Then there's the side of how do we recruit more dental assistants, which are critical, what you talked a little about that. And then obviously a lot of the things we are doing with ADA on payer reform and making sure that there's uh, a continued collaboration with the payers to to increase and change fee schedules and other types of benefits to make sure mo most importantly that the patient is utilizing all their benefits and at the same time you know the docs are able to to see them so talk to me a little about how important mm -hmm. on these issues of workforce and payer and other economic development things that, that it is to really work with these key stakeholders and why it's so important for these associations to be advocating on their members behalf yeah you know i think it depends on your perspective on whether or not you're in it for the short term or the long haul you know so if you think about it just on a very short-term basis you know there there are um, groups and organizations that are just really thinking about today tomorrow and next week and that's perfectly fine and these these may not be as important to you but the reality is the vast majority of DSOs and, and, and I would say almost every member of the ADSO um, are focused on what's the long haul look like. If we look at historical trends, we are actually seeing a shrinking base of people entering the workforce for the field of dentistry outside of the doctor. You know, And so dentistry um, is, uh, particularly as you think about licensed dentists, that's almost, um, it's, it's almost been capped for you know, the last couple of decades where there's just a certain number of dentists that are gonna come out every year and it keeps up with population growth and all of that. So, uh, but if we go and we take these trends and we run them out, you know, even two, three, four, five years, we're gonna have a big problem. And these, these issues aren't issues that just get resolved um, overnight. They're problems that have to be worked on. There's a lot of constituents that gotta be brought to the table. And so we all have to invest in the future security of dentistry. And it's not only for DSOs, it's for individual practitioners as well, which I think is great about the work that we do at the ADSO is that it's for the betterment of all dentistry. You know, what's good for the ADSO is good for the solo practitioner. Uh, and so uh, I think it's important as we think about, you know, um, payer uh, reform and, and really getting the payers to play ball. But the reality is, you know, it's a bit unfair with how payers, particularly PPOs, are structured in the sense that, you know, you get to decide, you know, what you're going to reimburse and on what procedures you're going to reimburse on. But then on other procedures, you may also have the ability to tell me what my fee would be in that scenario. And so 
we really need to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we um, put pricing power back into the hands of the practitioners and the DSOs uh, and let the free market really um, regulate itself in the sense of, you know, people aren't going to do a service if it's insanely priced, but we also need to get beyond this game of, well, I'm going to charge X for an image, even though um, I may or may not have needed to do it, but it's the only way in which I can get the reimbursement done. It's, it's this game of calculus that everybody has to do to figure out how to get paid. And once we get that uh, cleaned up, I firmly believe it's better for the patient because it'll be more clear, straightforward for them. As we think about portability of people, it's no secret. You know, population in, in um, you know, warm weather states is growing and it's, it's migrating from northern states. And so as we go through and we think about where the population is going, where people are going to retire and whatnot, it's important that practitioners are able to follow uh, their patients and, and follow where the demand is. You know, I, I saw a study where in a very short period of time, there will be more people alive that are over the age of 60 than there are children. This is the first time in history that that's ever happened. Well, where do those people want to live when they retire? They want to live somewhere where it's warm. Uh, they don't have to shovel snow, things of that nature. And so as time goes on, we're going to continue to see this migration continue to build to warm weather states. But we also need to allow for um, practitioners to be able to migrate to those states as well as needed to serve the greater population. 100%. And I think one thing for our listeners I want to highlight, because I know we're going to be talking about this on future episodes, and you touched a little on it with the payer side, is this whole, this this new um, focus around medical loss ratio and establishing within dentistry, you know, that the dental insurers need to pay a certain percentage of their premiums towards care, where obviously Massachusetts had a ballot measure that was overwhelmingly passed by the voters and is, you know, in the process of, of coming out with rules and regulations. But I know that's something that the industry with ADA is very focused on working with, and I think speaks to that. So I know we're going to have uh, a couple future guests on that topic. So just wanted to uh, flag that for our listeners. So um, I guess one overarching and, and last question for you is what do you see as the most important critical thing that a DSO can be doing today to navigate all of these things we talked about from workforce shortages, higher labor costs, higher uh, cost of capital? What's the most important thing from your point of view? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's kind of hard to say it's one important thing. It's kind of like everything everywhere all at once. But, you know, the reality is, you know, being very strategic about where you're investing your time and your resources and being very focused on uh, investing in things that provide a return or improve the overall experience, which should improve your revenue. Um, I think this is not the time to go and get into business lines or other areas of business that are untested or you don't have the internal competency to handle. Uh, a lot of times organizations want to go and start bolting on a bunch of other things all at once. And that distraction really can take down the core part of your business. And so I think, you know, particularly when, you know, businesses are under financial duress, you really need to boil it down to what are what is our core mission and how do we really throw all of our resources and energy around that particular mission and really, you know, um, execute you know, the ordinary things extraordinarily, you know, and if you can do that, 
um, and you're strategic and you bring your you bring your team along and you have their buy-in, uh, you can weather almost any storm. Well, well said. And, and and Dustin, thank you very much for taking the time. I know you're incredibly busy focused on all these issues we talked about. And also thank you to Dr. Ahmed for joining us earlier. Uh, both of you have set a very high bar for the inaugural podcast of Thank You for Flossing. So uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you to those that have tuned in. And, and thanks very much. Have a great day. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Thank You for Flossing. I'm Andrew Smith. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss our next episode. And to learn more about how dental support organizations are driving the future of oral health, visit www.theadso.org. That's www.theadso.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next time.